And our young folks can be dismissed to Children's Church. Everybody else turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're going to get a first-hand look at what Dave referenced in his song, the crucifixion of our Lord and all the stuff that was involved with that. And um, It certainly is man's inhumanity to man, and it is the part that uh, people have done their best to portray uh, the cruelty of the cross, the things leading up to it, everything from the scourging to the crown of thorns to the um, the nails in the hands and the feet and so forth and all the things that go along with crucifixion and a horrible, horrible way to die. But again, I, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that the part that was most important is the part when Jesus hung on the cross and there were three hours of darkness from most likely noon to about three in the afternoon. God the Father poured out his wrath upon his son. All that went before that was man, you know, this is satisfying the Sanhedrin and, and, and the Roman soldiers and this is, what, this is what they do and this is how they handle discipline and punishment and crucifixion and again, it's man's inhumanity to man. It's the fact that God placed the sins of the entire world on his son and then judged his son for our sin. That's the most important part. That's the, you know, <laughs> if you please, the agony of the cross. But we're going to look at some of the physical aspects of that today. And, um, and again, we'll, we'll start here in, in Luke chapter 23. I will give you this uh, one little piece of advice. We've done some very, very quick research and found out that um, uh, the gas is worse on a high level, okay? Uh, so I'm probably going to go before the rest of you. Um, and if you'd like, you could go ahead and sit on the floor uh, and, you know, you'll be, you know, you'd just be, you know, you'd last longer than anybody else if you just sat on the floor, okay? Any takers? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, ben and I had a over-under bed of three, that there'd be three people that would go sit on the floor. I, but, uh, but you guys, did, you know, we did dismiss the children, so maybe we're all right. Maybe we're all right. We were in the um, we were studying the last days of Jesus's life, and it's not just the last week; it's the last days. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin—they want Jesus dead. And again, Jesus would even say at one particular point, for what good work do you want to slay me? Uh, exactly, exactly what, you know, what thing? And, and can you imagine, you know, today, even today, someone doing as much good as Jesus was doing, that the crowd in the world would want to put a stop to it? The devil's crowd would want to put a stop to it, crucify him. I don't doubt 
that it would be exactly the same today. Exactly the same. Jesus tells his disciples things are going to be really, really bad. But he says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Regardless of what happens or what is happening or what happens next, the devil is not winning. This is my father's plan. This is what, this is what I came here for. Please do not let your heart be troubled. This is how it's supposed to go. Jesus meets with his disciples in Gethsemane. And he tells us, this, I put the swords away. If I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels. But this is to be, this is the cup I'm supposed to take. Jesus is taken to Annas' house, and he's struck in the face by one of Annas' servants. He's then taken to Caiaphas' house. These are the, the high priests of the day. And um, there are lying witnesses, and it is outside of Caiaphas' house where Peter denies Christ three times and then goes out and weeps bitterly. They then move from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house, then to the temple where they assemble the entire Sanhedrin, now very, very early in the morning. And they assemble the entire Sanhedrin and basically try to convict Jesus again. Um, they decide to take him then to Pilate. And this is where Judas sees that he is condemned by the Sanhedrin. They're going to try to crucify Jesus Judas returns the money and goes and hangs himself. Jesus appears before Pilate, but there, uh, even the, the major hypocrisy of all of it is the fact that <clears throat> we don't want to, you know, this is the Passover, we don't want to be ceremonially unclean, so we can't en enter the Gentiles' quarters, you know, unless we're ceremonially unclean for the Passover, but it's okay for us to turn someone innocent over to you for murder. Uh, and... Um, Pilate seeks to free Jesus because he sees that it's for envy, he, and um, he then finds that it's Herod's jurisdiction, so he quickly sends Jesus to Herod. Jesus says nothing to Herod. He is silent. Herod, thinking that this is John the Baptist risen from the dead, as he's ready to dismiss Jesus, he mocks him and treats him as nothing, the passage says. Pilate then tries to release Jesus, and he releases Barabbas. Uh, he scourges Jesus, hoping that that would satisfy the crowd. He presents Jesus as, behold, the man. This man is no threat to Rome. He's no threat to us. <clears throat> He's no threat as far as rebellion is concerned. He speaks to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't respond at one particular point. And Pilate says, do not know. I have the power to release you. I have the power to crucify you. You better talk to me. When I talk to you, you better talk to me. Jesus said, you have no power at all except for what my Father gives you. And then finally the crowd says, you're no friend of Caesar if you let this man go. And Pilate, fearing Caesar, washes his hands before the multitude as if that's some kind of act. He's going to, you know, I want you to know I had nothing to do with this, you know. And, but he just finished saying, I have the power to crucify you. I have the power to release you. And he washes his hands before the multitude. And the crowd says, his blood be on us and our children. And we sort of ended with, they know not what they say. They know not what they do. Jesus is turned over by Pilate to the soldiers. Go do, do with him whatever you want. And the soldiers rally 
to this particular point. They strip him of his garments. They put a scarlet robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a reed in his hand, symbolizing a scepter, and they bow the knee and they mockingly worship the king of the Jews. They spit upon him. They took the reed from his hand and struck him on the head with the reed with the crown of thorns. The Bible says in Isaiah that his image, his visage was marred more so than any other man. And then 1 Peter says he was reviled and he reviled not again. The word reviled means when, when somebody reviles you, they say something with the intention of hurting. Uh, they, they want you to be hurt by their words. And when it says Jesus reviled not again, no matter what they said, he did not respond. And it says they led him away to crucify him. And then a passage in John, John 19 says, Then delivered he him, Pilate there delivered Jesus therefore to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth unto the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And so in John it tells us that he left Pilate's judgment hall carrying his cross. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to start uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, verses, starting in verse number 26. <clears throat> it says, As they led him away, they lay hold upon one, Simon a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. He's, Jesus starts with the cross from the uh, fortress of Antonio, Pilate's judgment hall, and, and, the, and the distance and the, and the progression that we're going to talk about when we talk about the way of the cross, okay, is this progression from Pilate's judgment hall to Golgotha, or the place of the skull, or what is called Calvary, okay? Uh, the distance is not that far. Uh, it's 650 yards, okay? Uh, that's how many yards Philadelphia is going to get today against Kansas City. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, maybe that's total yards for both teams. That would be pretty close. 650 yards. Uh, a football field is 100 yards. So it's basically six football fields. All things considered, that's not a long distance. Okay? And he starts at Pilate's Judgment Hall. And this place where they're going to crucify him is 650 yards away. And he starts with the cross but then is relieved of that responsibility as it's given to one Simon of Cyrene. And we'll talk a little bit more about this. But the way of the cross, and it's been, it's been, it's been named the Via Dolorosa. Okay? Uh, via meaning the road or the way of. Uh, Dolorosa is actually from Dolores. Um, that would be um, my mom was a Dolores. Uh, and um, and so is uh, so is Mrs. Loker, is a Dolores, okay, and uh, Dolly is a Dolores. The word Dolores, interestingly enough, means painful, sorrowful, miserable, okay, and I'm like, I knew that. Uh, <laughs> that's. When I was younger, that's how I thought of my mom, <laughs> exactly that way. And um, mom probably means something warm and fuzzy, and, you know, but Dolores was not so. 
Um, but the Vio Doloroso, or the, the Vio, the way of Dolores, okay, is a way of sorrow, a way of pain, a way of suffering. And again, you have Jesus barely alive. Again, the whipping and the beating and the scourging that he took at the hands of Pilate, we don't know how many lashes, we don't know how many, uh, we, we said that the Jews limited it to, to 40, Romans had no limit, they would go to the point where, of death, uh, and, and, and again, there's an assumption here uh, that Jesus needs help <laughs> transporting this cross. Literally, it would be tied to his shoulders, uh, and it's not the entire cross, it's probably just the cross bar. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's still a weight of 75 to maybe 125, 150 pounds strapped to his back. And he's supposed to carry this, you know, basically, you know, 650 yards to the point of crucifixion. Uh, he carries his own, his own cross. Uh, it's an east-west road from Pilate's Judgment Hall to, um, uh, to the Golgotha. Narrow streets... And something else that had took place um, is uh, different things happen on this, on this road, on this journey uh, to the cross, and there's different stops and different stages, and, and so it has been established by some, in particular the Catholic Church, uh, that there are stations of the cross. Uh, these are places where if you take a pilgrimage to Israel, or you take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you can stop at these different spots and these different places and pray and worship and ask God's blessing and so forth. These are holy spots, okay? Um, there's a lot of holy spots. But interestingly enough, and I'm, I'm sorry about the, the uh, coloring here for you, but there's 14, 14 different stations. The first two are not really on the Via Della Rosa. The first two are the... Tr back. Okay, you're, that's... That was actually, that was helpful. Go ahead and do that. Okay. Um, the trial by Pilate, and then Jesus receives his cross. That's starting point. Okay. And then three through, uh, three through nine are supposed to happen, are supposed to have happened on the Via Dolorosa on the way to the cross. Uh, Jesus falls. Okay. Now, falls for the first time. Um, it's important for me to tell you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the gospel records and all the stories about Jesus and walking and going from Pilate's judgment hall to the cross, it never mentions Jesus falling. Okay? It seems like, you know, he's, this weight is put on him of the cross. Uh, John tells us that he begins to carry his cross and then it's passed on to uh, Simon and so there's an assumption that he falls under the weight or he cannot do that. So, but it is an assumption, not a, not a fact. But they have him falling, and that, one, that first fall, that's a, that's a special holy spot. And then there's supposed to be a place where he has an encounter with his mom, where he stops and he talks with his mother. Uh, again, the reason it's in white here is because there's no biblical record of that either. Okay, And then Simon carries the cross, and we, that is a... That is a fact. And then he's supposed to, he stops again and, and speaks with Veronica. Uh, and Veronica wipes the sweat from his brow and wipes his face. And Jesus' image is forever imprinted on her, on her veil that she used to wipe his face. Um, there is no Veronica in Matthew, Mark, Luke. <laughs> okay. 
And uh, so that event is, again, somewhat tradition but not biblical. And then they have him falling a second time. That's seven, first seven stages. Then he speaks with the women of Jerusalem. That does happen. We'll talk about that. Uh, go ahead and flip one more. Yeah. Uh, fall number three, which if we don't have the first fall recorded, how could we have one, two, and three recorded? But they have him falling again. Uh, he finally, though, is stripped of his clothing when he gets to the cross. Uh, when he gets to Golgotha, he's nailed to the cross. He dies. The body's taken down and buried in the tomb. These are the 14 stages uh, or stations of the cross. Uh, these came about in the 15th century. Uh, people put these together, and again, as you see, that about five of them are eh, sort of make-believe. I don't know if it's real or not, okay? Since then, it's been changed. Pope Benedict, in 2007, came up with 14 stages of the cross. Now, the good part about this is all of these are real and all of these are biblical. Uh, but again, from the standpoint of it being a special holy place, um, uh, some of you have made trips to, to Israel uh, and Jerusalem and things of that nature. Um, when, when I went, we went, my wife and I went in 1985. It was a, it's a very interesting story. I, I think my wife was visiting her, her family up here in Michigan, and I was invited to a friend's house for, for a meal. And uh, I was sitting there, and they started talking about Israel. They started talking about um, you know, it's, wouldn't you like to go? Um, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, we, went on a, we went on a trip and it was wonderful. And boy, you're our pastor. We'd love to, you know, uh, it'd be great if you would go. And I'm like, I don't know. I really had no real great desire to go. And they said, well, we'll pay your entire way. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, um, that is real. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like somebody asking me if I want a boat, you know. Uh, I have no use for a boat. Oh, well, we were going to buy you a free boat. Boats? I love boats. That's great. You know, and that's what this was. And it was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to pay for you to go. I'm like, oh, great. Well, for me, it was extremely educational. I, I learned so much. And I mean, I, had a, I, I took pictures. I had pads and, pen, pads and pencils. And, and for those of you that are ancient, I had a cassette recorder. Uh, and uh, I, everything, it was just so educational for me. I, I loved every second, okay? But to some people, it was super spiritual. It'd be like, oh, I'm standing where Jesus walked. <gasps> you know, or I'm touching the Jordan River and Jesus was, <gasps> and I'm like, you do realize that the water in the Jordan River when Jesus was there is now in the Nottawasippi. <laughs> because of the water cycle and table. <laughs> Anyways, but, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to make fun, but different people respond different ways. And, and it's like, it was very, very spiritual for some. And, and the same thing is, is this, the stations of the cross is the same thing. Uh, I, I will tell you that, you know, for example, we had, we had a communion service at, um, at what, we, what was believed to be the, uh, the site of Jesus's burial, the, the open tomb and so forth. And, and that's pretty cool stuff, you know, and, and, and things of that nature. But at the, at the same time, uh, God is holy. Jesus is holy. You don't worship spots. You worship God. You worship Jesus. You worship. You don't worship trinkets. You worship truth. And so, anyways, Gethsemane again, fourteen. Gethsemane. He starts there in Gethsemane, the betrayal of Judas. 
Condemnation by the Sanhedrin, denial by Peter, uh, judged by Pilate, scourged in the crown of thorns, and then Jesus carries his cross, and that starts the Via Della Rosa. Uh, there's our man Simon, the women of Jerusalem. Jesus then is crucified, the thief is promised heaven. John cares for Mary. Jesus dies, tomb. These are the different, these are the different spots here as far as um, stations of the cross. But there is no, again, there's no record of Jesus falling under the weight of the cross. But it is the fact that Simon of Cyrene carries Jesus' cross, and it says they laid hold of one. If you look at verse 26, they laid hold upon one, Simon a Cyrenian. Uh, again, different thoughts go through this uh, as well. But even though this is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the Synoptic Gospels reference uh, Simon of Cyrene, but it never says he volunteered or never said out of love or compassion, or it's not like, oh, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll carry that for him. Uh, it's sort of the opposite. It's like he was uh, charged with doing it. He was compelled. Matthew says he was compelled to do it. Mark says he was just passing by and they grabbed him. Uh, and here in Luke, it says they laid hold upon him. And so it's like, nah, I didn't have much choice in the matter. And, um, but there's no mention of volunteer or sympathy. Uh, Simon the Cyrene, um, Cyrene or the Cyrenians was um, a trading post off the coast of North Africa. Uh, some assume, again, this gentleman to be uh, of, of dark skin because he's from North Africa. But again, there was a very large Jewish settlement uh, amongst the Cyrenians as well. And so, it does, again, it doesn't say... Uh, one thing that is interesting, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God comes upon Peter and the other disciples, and they begin to speak in uh, languages, or, or everybody hears in their own language, and it lists all the people from all these different places that are there present, hearing the truth in their own language, uh, Cyrene is, is mentioned as one of those places where there are Jews present there at Pentecost. So the possibility, again, of him being a Jew that was just there in Jerusalem for the Passover is, is just as possible uh, as any. Um, later, historical record shows uh, that uh, he may have become a believer and uh, is believed in 100 AD he was actually sawn in half um, and martyred for, for his faith in, in Christ. At this particular point, whether he believes or doesn't believe, he does seem to be compelled uh, to carry the cross. And the cross is not the whole thing, as we would normally think about. Um, there are two parts to this. Let's see. You know, I, I, I hope you can follow this. Um, the post itself um, is, it was somewhat of a permanent thing. Uh, we, ha we get the idea that there's a cross and we carry the cross. And we've all seen you know, these people that go, <clears throat> no pun intended, cross country with a cross. Um, and they've got a little wheel on the back, you know, and he's carrying, you know, carrying the cross, and he's got a little <laughs> a wheel on the back, of it, and he's dragging this cross with him. Uh, and even the idea that it was a cross that looked something like this uh, is most likely it was a cross that looked like this, okay? Most likely a T, not a capital T, not a small T, okay? And this part of it, this is the crossbar, that's the part that was carried. Um, and uh, as you can see here, the man is it's strapped to his back. That's the crossbar. 
The other part is a permanent, it's called the stipes. It is a permanent structure, a permanent pole that's it's just there. And so what happens is that's, that's there permanently at this place where they're going to be crucifying people. You bring your own crossbar, and then they nail you to the cross, crossbar, then put the bar up on top of the post, and that is how it is, is set and established there. The upright post is called a stipes, S-T-I-P-E-S, and it's usually permanent, stationary at the site. The crossbar itself is called a, a patibulum, 75 to 125 pounds, and it would be strapped or tied to the victim, and that's what they were supposed to carry. The cross was most likely a tau cross, T-A-U, um, one of the letters of the alphabet there, and again, referencing uh, the preferred cross by the Romans was basically there's the bar, and the crossbar would just kind of sit on top of this, okay? And it's not, not something that would, we would stick here, but something that was right, right there. Um, in front of the procession would be a soldier carrying a sign. The sign was called a titulus, and the sign would have the name of the criminal and the crime he was charged with committing. And um, this, it, it, when it talks about Jesus, it was in three different languages. You have the Aramaic, the Hebrew, and the, and the Greek, uh, all three. Basically, it's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Okay. <laughs> Who is the man? Who is the man that is guilty? As we proceed, and the soldier carries the sign, says, "This is the man's name. This is what he's guilty of. The man's name. He's Jesus of Nazareth. What he's guilty of? He's guilty of being king of the Jews. That's his crime. That's his crime. And so, uh, and of course, this is where later the Sanhedrin say, "Change it. Change that sign. Change that he said he was king of the Jews." Pilate said, "What I've written, I've written." I'm going to leave it like it is. And so the titulus would be this sign that would be carried along with it. And again, no record of a fall, no record of Jesus talking with his mom at this particular point, uh, no record of a person called Veronica, no fall two and three. Luke chapter 23, look at verse 27. There followed him a great company. By the way, this is a very narrow place, a very narrow streets. And again, one of the things, if, if you've ever been uh, to some of these... Uh, uh, these countries and so forth, um, they are narrow streets. Uh, to, uh, the fact that you know, the two vehicles could pass each other in the street, you're like, I don't see how this is even possible. Uh, they must, you know, rub paint and exchange paint when they do so. Uh, anything, anything that comes down the street, you find yourself up against the wall somewhere because it's just not that much room. And so this, these are narrow streets that we're talking about. And he says, there followed him a great company of people. And again, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Speaking the fact that there's a great company of people, but then it seems to be mostly, or he mentions women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Great company of people. And, and, and part of my, why didn't, why didn't they stop it? I mean, I mean, you got crowds and mob mentality, and it's like, this is wrong, and they're wailing and crying, and we've got enough here. We can stop this. Stop this. We can stop it. Afraid of the soldiers? Or was it truly the fact that God didn't want this to be stopped? Did not want this to be hindered? And the words come, great company of people. 
And Jesus turned to them, and this is where he's the daughters of Jerusalem, and he's addressing the women, interestingly enough. And maybe there was more women than men, I, I don't know. But he turned to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Some dummies just a few minutes prior had said, oh, let his blood be on, you know, on us and our children. <laughs> Daughters of Jerusalem, weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Literally, it would be like, blessed are the women who've never had children. Because it's going to be such a horrible time that you'll be better off without children. And it says, they began to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Jesus says, you need to weep for yourselves. And weep for your children. The blood be on us and our children. He says, the day will happen. Well, to be envied is the woman who does not have a child or a small child. People will beg to hide in the mountains. Fall on us. Hide us. Cover us. And Jesus says, if this kind of thing is happening, what's happening today, if this happens when a man is innocent, and they've done this to an innocent man, and what's, what you've seen take place now to the innocent, what is going to happen when someone is actually guilty? What is actually going to happen when you actually do rebel? What's going to happen? There are two references here. And many times in prophecy, there's an immediate reference and, in a, and a later reference. But the two references here are, this is about 2930 A.D., something like that. Okay? In 70 A.D., 40 years from this point, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, are going to honest to goodnessly rebel against Rome. They're going to say, we've had enough, we're done we're rebelling against Rome. Jesus is accused of leading rebellion. <laughs> and Jesus says, if this is what they do to an innocent leader of rebellion, what's going to happen when you actually do rebel? You better weep for yourselves and for your children. When, when this happens, when, when you rebel against Rome, when you finally do rebel against Rome, in 70 AD it happened. The general's name was Titus who came down in 70 AD. And it took, and, and interestingly enough, it was at exactly the same time. The rebellion began at Passover. It's like, you can't make this stuff up. This is Passover and Jesus talking. And it happens at Passover. It lasts for five months, March through September. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They profaned the temple. Actually, uh, orders were given to, to not destroy the temple. And the Jews actually burnt their own temple because they didn't want it to be a monument to Roman and didn't want it to be defiled. 
Everything was destroyed. Murder, famine, cannibalism. Uh, it is estimated the, the low estimate is 350,000 people died. Nine, 97,000 Jewish people became slaves to the Romans, women and children primarily. The men were killed. The, the women and children became slaves to Rome. Many, many, many were crucified because this is rebellion and we have to set the... And so Jesus referring or referencing that says, <laughs> what's happening right now? You, you need to... I'm innocent and this is what they've done to me. What do you think is going to happen when you finally do rebel against Rome? Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. And that is just phase one of this prophecy. Phase two of the prophecy is in the tribulation period. When, again, we're not, the Jewish people as a nation, we're not getting the mark of the beast. We are rebelling against the one world government. We're rebelling against what the Antichrist is trying to do. We refuse. And the Antichrist goes all out in the time of what is called the time of Jacob's trouble to wipe out every Jew from the planet. And it says it'll be worse than, than it's ever been in all the history of, uh, of the world. It'll be worse for the Jews at that particular point and at that particular time. And again, both of these have references to, you know, pray that when this happens, it's not in the winter. Pray that when this happens, you don't have any children. Because this will be horrible to try to find a place to hide with all of these things going on. To be envied are those that are without children. People begging to die and to be hidden. Here's the two references. Matthew, Matthew 24, this is the reference um, dealing with the tribulation period in particular. Jesus said, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They will kill you. You'll be hated of all nations for my namesake. <clears throat> when you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in the mid part of the tribulation period, when that abomination of desolation stands in the holy place, if you're reading this, make sure you understand what's going on. Then let him... Let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, we talk about mountains and rocks falling as cover us. Find a cave to hide in. Let them which is on the housetop come not down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child. Woe unto them that give suck in those days. This is going to be terrible if you have children. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Revelation talks about it this way. After the sixth seal, this is in the um, uh, first part of the tribulation period, I beheld when they had opened the sixth seal... It was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free 
hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? The bad guys are asking to be hidden from God. And the good guys are asking to be hidden from the bad guys. Everybody wants to hide. Everybody wants to be in a place of seclusion. If this has happened to the innocent, what will happen to the guilty? Verse number 32, and there were also with Jesus two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. So there's three in this crowd in this procession. And when they would come to the place that is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Calvary is the Latin word, and somehow we like Calvary better than Golgotha. But Golgotha is the Hebrew word, again, meaning place of the skull. I, I don't know, can we, do I have it? Yeah, I, a little tough to pick it out exactly, but you can see the, in the, within the circle there, you can see the, the two eye sockets and so forth, and the place of the skull, 650 yards from the fortress of Antonio Pilate's Judgment Hall. And he was crucified there. Crucifixion, by the way, first began among the Persians. Alexander the Great, amongst his other features and feats, uh, introduced the practice of crucifixion to the Mediterranean Sea area. And the Romans were known to perfect it, torture, capital punishment, uh, slow, maximum pain, disgraceful, cruel. Other things that accompany this would be while they were making preparations, the victim would be tied to a tree or impaled on a post. And they would be given a bitter drink, wine mixed with myrrh. It was kind of a mild painkiller, basically uh, to knock the edge off, but to make sure uh, you didn't die too fast, okay? Uh, Didn't want to spoil the fun by dying too quickly. Um, The criminal then would be thrown to the ground, and his hands would be nailed or tied to the crossbar, Uh, Hands would not be fully extended. Uh, They wanted them to be bent somewhat so they could actually use their hands for leverage to pull up. Um, The nails were then put in the wrists. Um, Archaeologists found some crucifixion nails, uh, five to seven inches long. Um, Let's see, go back one maybe. There they are, yeah. Um, Five to seven inches long and um, three-eighths inches wide. Okay, next. Oop. Yeah, and, and again, the, the thought process here is, again, to bend the arms in such a way that they can use the arms to pull up. And again, uh, the, the, um, the nails were through, we, we talk about the palms of his hands and so forth, okay? Uh, and there still is a possibility of this, because sometimes they would tie and nail at the same time. You could tie your hands and nail them both. But typically, if you put a nail in the palm of your hand, and all the weight of your body was on the, you know, it would rip right through the fingers. It would not be able to hold. But this little nice, wonderful little soft spot right here between the two, on your wrist, right between the two bones, uh, it's one of those things where if I push with my thumb a little bit hard, that hurts. <laughs> and it, 
the thought of a nail going through that part of my wrist, it's almost like the palm of the hand would be better than that spot. But that would hold the weight of their entire body on, on, both, on both hands. Um, and then they would have a bar set in place. Uh, sometimes even as far as the feet were concerned, the feet would be, be put on like a, a step or a, uh, or a uh, foot, uh, foot platform for the feet. The knees would be bent. Feet would be nailed together. The plan was um, to give the person an opportunity to struggle and fight for life. The idea of bending the knees, so if I, if I was able to straighten, if I pull up with my arms and I straighten my legs, I can take a breath. And I can only hold it for so long, and then I'm, and then as I collapse and the strength dissipates, I go back down, and now I can't breathe. It literally is the idea of you're drowning. It literally would be the idea that the, the water is like, you know, three, four inches, you know, above your nose. It's, it's like right here. And so you have to pull up enough to go, and literally what happens for hours and hours and hours on the cross, you are pulling and gasping for breath. And we've been made, all of us as humans have been made in such a way uh, that we have a tendency to hang on to life and to fight for life. And, to, and so there are stories of people being on the cross for three and four days. Their feet able to push off the, uh, either the fact of the, the nail being there, putting both feet together, or the platform that's there, they push off. And it's like just enough to keep them barely alive. Just enough to torture. And again, please understand, the reason for this is you rebel against Rome. You try to rebel against Rome, and this is what happens to you. And we're going to put you on display. So anybody who thinks it's a great idea to rebel against Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. Oh, we're not going to just chop your head off or run you through with a sword. We're going to make you suffer in agony and pain for days. As long as we can possibly do this to make you miserable. Three hours, some three days. Let me read some to you here. This again is it's done by a medical doctor sharing some of the things. And again, some of the things are tradition. You'll, you'll recognize the difference since I've told you this morning, the difference between tradition and, and what the Bible shares. But the heavy patibulum, which is the crossbar of the cross, is tied across the shoulders. And the procession of the condemned Christs, two thieves are with him. The execution detail Roman soldiers headed by a centurion begins its slow journey along the Via Della Rosa. In spite of his efforts to walk erect, the weight of the heavy beam, together with the shock produced by copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles, he falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of his shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. The centurion, anxious to get on with the crucifixion, selects a stalwart North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. Jesus follows, still bleeding and sweating, the cold, clammy sweat of shock 
until the 650-yard journey from the fortress of Antonio to Golgotha is complete. Jesus is offered wine mixed with myrrh, a mild analgesic mixture. He refuses to drink. Simon is ordered to place the patibulum on the ground, and Jesus quickly is thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression in the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexation and movement. The patibulum is then lifted in place and placed at the top of the snipes, and the titulus reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place. The left foot is now pressed backwards against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and in the wrist, excruciating pain shoots through the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves, and as he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there's searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet. At this point, his arms fatigue. Great waves of cramps sweep over the other muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upwards. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and to bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, the terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium fills slowly with serum and begins to compress the heart. Literally, it's, it's basically filling up the lungs. It's congestive heart failure as the, they can't get the fluid out of the system and the fluid builds up in the chest cavity and in the lung area. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue uh, fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The marked dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. The body of Jesus is now in extremes. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out words probably more than a tormented whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement has completed. Finally, he allows his body to die. With one last scourge of strength, he once again presses his feet against the nail, strengthens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And through all of this, Luke 23, verse 34 and said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots.
Again, the fact that the God of the universe wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven can be clearly summarized. And Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If Jesus was interested in forgiving these people, he is a loving God who is interested in forgiving these people. Father, thank you for your word this morning. A lot of this is not easy to hear or to stomach or even to think about. And this is just the physical agony of stuff. But again, as humans, we identify very much with the pain and the agony and the physical aspects of things. And Father, we thank you what you were willing to go through for us. Again, 12 legions of angels could have put an end of this. All by yourself, you could have come down off the cross and put an end to all of this. But you stayed on the cross. You died for our sin, for which we are ever grateful. Again, Father, I pray if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, that they would see your love and they would see what you went through to purchase our salvation, and they would have a desire to put their faith and trust in you as well. Thank you for these reminders. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan, that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries at Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.